0: Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we discuss and digest the most interesting seafood news of the week. I am Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief here in Seattle, and I am joined today by Rachel Mutter in Kuala Lumpur and John Pirillo here in Seattle as well. Hello guys, we are going to dive in. The main thing is we broke a story uh, about the U.S. seafood consumption. There's an annual report that comes out each year from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And, uh, they, uh, unfortunately it's, it's about a year behind and it's just the cogs of government move slowly. Um, but it takes a look at the, uh, average per capita seafood consumption in the U S. So the headline is that seafood consumption is very, very flat. Um, 0.1 pounds per capita increased to 16.1 pounds um and the trade deficit uh continues to grow and that's despite uh, all the efforts by the Trump administration to um to to gain um, control over trade deficits in in a bunch of different sectors. So we're going to start off talking about that, uh, and we're as part of that going to look at why we may have that flat consumption in the U.S. market. So, um, John, I'm going to turn to you first on this topic. Um, you've seen the numbers, uh, we, we have it out the door and, um, and what,
1: what are your initial impressions? Well, in celebration of this 0.6% increase, I I'm eating a tuna fish sandwich right now. I mean, I'm so excited now this is ridiculous. All right. So (laughs) here we are. It went from 16 to 16.1. It didn't move basically. So I think the NOAA, press release said something like it's the highest it's been in 11 years or something to that effect. Yeah. But the second part of that story is it's been flat for 30. So, I, you know, I wrote something a few weeks ago that, you know, I don't ever think we'll see 17, let alone the 20, um, uh, per capita consumption, 20 pounds per person that, you know, was a goal many years ago. So nothing surprising here. Um, what can be done? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 say that, um, you know, suppliers are doing a lot. Seafood companies are doing a lot. They put products and, um, can consumers like they're staying on trend with most things. I mean, they're, a lot of them are not building fresh cases in the supermarket anymore, or at least they're. You know, trimming them down because clearly that never worked. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's for a lack of effort. I think culturally, we're just not in the U.S. Anyways, we're not a seafood loving nation, and um, yeah. Well, let me let me add a little sunshine and
0: balance to your take on it, and then we'll we'll go to you, Rachel, too, because you also have a pretty negative take, and. Might I add an offensive take about Americans? But we'll get to that in a second. Um, I think you're absolutely wrong, John. That we're not going to hit 17 pounds per uh, per capita. Um, that that is a that is a figure that's based on past habits, and I think those habits are changing. And I think they're changing for the better. And you're right that 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 figure, that flatness of that figure, is. Uh, is to say the least, um, disconcerting, but I don't think it, I don't, I don't think there's been any changes that would warrant an increase, uh, aside from salmon. And that's where I'm going to add the asterisk to this, um, is I think that will move the needle. I think that will change. Um, I was kind of surprised to see shrimp increase in per capita consumption to, uh, a record level. Um, that was kind of interesting and, and speaks to, um, you know, maybe the, the price of, of shrimp and, um, and how that has a knock on effect into how people use that protein into, into other, uh, ready meals and things like that. And it's kind of continued popularity. Um, but I think that, that you're right in the sense that there hasn't been anything done. You say you're eating a tuna fish sandwich. Um that category canned seafood declined, and NOah attributed that in part to the low um we 're in an off year on pink salmon, so um they they say that that, that is part of it um which i 'm not sure about that how much that would impact things uh I think that canned tuna uh, as we all know, has been flat and and declining and will more than likely continue to do so. Um, but, but I think that's all based on a lack of imagination and a lack of, of effort on, um, I don't want to lay it on the doorstep of seafood companies because it's not quite so simple. Um, you have to have a lot of other people on board. You have to have, uh, food service operators, retailers, um, you know, to, to help create, forms of product that are going to help things grow. Now, back to salmon really quickly. The reason why uh, I think it can lead consumption is because we've seen it happen in other countries. It it tends to, uh, number one, it's a product that people absolutely um, uh, like in the United States. They absolutely do. Cantali presented some figures not too long ago um, that showed in 2010 in the U.S., um, consumption of uh, Atlanta. I'm talking farm salmon. Um, consumption of farm salmon was around three hundred thousand metric tons, um, in 2015. That went up to about five hundred thousand metric tons. Uh, the estimate in 2020 is a five percent per annum or five percent growth between 2015 to to 2020. Um, and the the projection is even that that would go up another five percent, uh, and this rate would continue to twenty twenty five. So Cantali sees possibly a one hundred thousand metric ton uh, salmon market in the United States. Now, there's you know you can see that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of reasons why that might um, why that there might be hiccups there, but you do see um, according to Cantali's data that in the EU uh and in other countries as well um farm salmon has tended to push up overall consumption and been kind of a, a boost to it um and and i I see that as changing uh changing how how um how seafood is consumed as we have consumers that want fresher uh easier to cook uh, products um I think salmon can can be the the savior rachel what do you think you you were uh very um direct uh in your (laughs) in your analysis of how americans eat seafood and how it's sold and just generally disparaging of of americans uh in general
2: it's yeah it's generally how i like to be no i mean you might say offensive but i say motivational i think (laughs) is what (laughs) is what i was attempting i don't know if i managed it um But no, I just think it's kind of depressing. I think, I mean, John, you said that that habits are changing in terms of seafood consumption. No, Drew
1: said that. No, No. Drew
2: said that. Drew said that. I think that's true to a point. Um, I think maybe younger generations have very different eating habits to the older ones, but I don't see the seafood industry in the U.S. doing very much to cater to that, actually. I just think there's no imagination it's the industry is reliant on shrimp, as you say. There's no surprise to me that that went up because it seems to be the sort of staple seafood that the industry always turns to, which is fine. But it's sort of served as a cheap, bulk, generally breaded or sourced product, and I and I just don't think that has a huge future, given that millennials and gen Zers, i should say gen z probably um that's not really what they're after i don't think and i think as long as the seafood industry keeps sort of harping on these same old products then nothing is going to go up um i j- yeah i said in my column recently that actually has had a lot of positive response rather than hate mail as was expected Uh, Um, uh, i'm I'm uh, gonna interject i think it was about
0: 50 50 (laughs) so let's uh no no
2: no 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 no. um (laughs) all positive no but I, i i went to the the gsmc conference for the second time this year um and i just i'm kind of shocked by it i'm kind of shocked by the discussions that go on um because it seems very reliant on some pretty old concepts um, and traditions and not much seems to be moving forward. And it, it's almost like seafood, the seafood industry sort of has to apologize for itself in its marketing. So there's there's the health message, which is great. Seafood is healthy and that should absolutely be played on more because people are interested in health, um, increasingly so in the US. But it's almost it's almost like, oh, sorry, you have to eat seafood, but it is good for you. You know, it should be like an additional message, not the main message. I mean, seafood is delicious, right? It's delicious. It's easy to cook, despite what the US seafood industry seems to sort of keep saying. They sort of of reiterate this message that, oh, you know, seafood's harder to cook. I mean, it's not. It's not. And as long as the industry keeps believing that or saying that, then consumers are going to believe that and say that too um yeah and I just think it's this sort of general general apology seems to be the marketing for seafood it's like this sort of versatile whitefish message as well that's constantly sort of being repeated you know it's a versatile whitefish because you can basically cover cover its flavor and texture in a sauce and that's a marketing message like you can oh this is a great product because you can cover up the taste of it. I mean, I just, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like why not market seafood for seafood well, for being a great product?
0: And I, I want to, I want to ask too, I mean, you mentioned retailers and um, yeah, this, this goes to both of you, but in the UK, Rachel, you were highlighting that seafood is sold quite differently. I, I you know, I'll point out that, London is such a huge city and um it's um you know it it requires convenient options for food um and so and the retail um sector in the UK is highly competitive and you're geographically very tightly uh grouped together but um you know I wonder to what extent it's uh it's retail driven um and and trying to get new ideas, uh, you know, uh, up to people like Safeway, uh, you know these major retailers, Walmart. I mean, these are spread all across the country. Um, people want bulk sizes; they want cheap. Uh, I, I guess, or you know, do retailers need to be carrying the baton a bit more to 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 drive these product forms forward? I don't know
2: yeah I mean, yeah, of course. and i'm being i'm being I'm being sort of sort of harsh to to make the point, but and of course, retailers have a massive role to play in this. And as you say, in the u k, we've got our retail chains, I guess, in the scale of things are much smaller and probably much more able to to shift towards new product forms and and maybe be a little bit more creative and accepting of 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 new products. And I think that's certainly true. Um, it's a very different retail arena, but i but still i don't know i don't know because i just feel like the general um the general like feeling in the u.s industry is that they have a product that maybe needs to be more like chicken or more like beef or i don't know there's very little creativity
1: well they have a product that people just generally don't want to buy i mean when you look across the retail landscape in the u.s you have to consider places like San Francisco, Seattle, New York. I mean, consumption's going to be great there. You've got a guy like Guy Pizzuti down at Publix in in Florida does, you know, works his tail off to sell seafood. Does a great job of it. But that's not the whole country. The middle of the country and other parts of the country, you have a lot of retailers who they have no no demand for seafood or very little. And if they do, it's shrimp and salmon, imagine that, and you know, some canned tuna. So they're not gonna do anything. They're not being incentivized. Their customers aren't calling for it. So in my opinion, and uh, people don't wanna hear this, there has to be some sort of generic marketing pull to get consumers focused on seafood and as i'm told that'll never happen in this in this country because the industry doesn't want to pay for it they had it before they didn't want to pay for it then so okay but i wanted to go back to one other point drew you you talked about salmon as a savior what is salmon doing so magnificently that none of the other seafoods are doing Uh, what is there something it's doing i mean Portion, frozen portions, well, okay, tilapia does that, cod does. What's salmon doing that's so superior? You're asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was a rhetorical question. But, yeah, there's a lot of things salmon (laughs) is doing differently. Um, Salmon is providing a product that is uh, boneless, that is already portioned, that is uh, available fresh uh, in grab-and go packs. Um, they're offering just-in-time delivery for the product. They're offering consistency in the product. Uh, time and time again you bite into some salmon. you're gonna get basically the same flavor and taste. Now you can argue, hey it's a farm product and it's a very, very highly evolved uh, supply chain. Um, and, and yeah, that's true, but it can still be the tip of the spear the uh, tip of the spear. Um, and it has, because you see that movie with their uh, additional operations in Dallas, uh, and they're in L.A., they're in Miami, and also um, up in Canada as well with a new uh, plant. The the energy and investment that's going into value-added products and going into um, fresh, uh, packed products and getting those on the doorsteps of consumers quickly – um that can be replicated now you you are going to always have to have refresh if you're going to uh sell wild salmon uh, or if you're going to sell um you know cod or, or other things like that um so it it is a unique it's a unique product in some ways but i don't think it's the only one that um that uh that can 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 do this i think it's a some of it like you said Rachel is a lack of imagination um, some of it is R and D that's just super challenging, and some of it is the the weight of history like you were hitting on too, the focus on Lent, for example, that you hit on in your column. Um, you know, and, and I, I agree that I didn't hear besides the discussion about plant based seafood, I didn't hear a lot new uh year to year uh among the people that were attending the NFI conference. Um, it was more, uh, you know, it was just kind of updates on what's been happening. There wasn't a lot that was really exciting. It was backward looking. Um, it wasn't sort of um, looking ahead and saying, well, what can we uh, what can we be learning? What can we be doing? Um, and, you know, John, I think on generic marketing, I, I'm in that camp that it's never going to happen and never going to work. Um, only because I think that... Um yeah I mean sticking on on uh, movie um th- this is kind of a, an interesting thing the Norwegian Seafood Council that's the far and away the best funded marketing uh group in seafood in the world um there was a lot of debate and discussion if you remember a few years ago about whether or not the percentage being paid by movie with its uh, rapid rapid rise in in revenues and earnings whether or not they should continue to pay that percentage into the Norwegian Seafood Council that, say, you know, a small, um, you know, whatever, a small uh, salt cod producer in northern Norway should should pay, um, and and so their argument was, you know, what seafood companies, we need to focus on developing our own brands, um, and I think that argument is a really good one. Um, I'm not saying movies doing everything right, but I think they're sort of emblematic of where the industry could go. There are companies that have the money to invest. There are companies that have the ability to do this. Um, so I don't know if it's a matter of willpower or if it's just that companies get in this, um, habit of getting those margins and being happy with those year to year. Um, I don't know. I think people need to take some risks.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I have two points to respond on that, I mean, one, you make a good point, and it's it's generally the it's generally the foreign players in the US market. There, I say, that sort of go in there and make a difference, like you you mentioned Maui, and also there's been some big UK um, seafood producers who have sort of gone into the US and been pretty successful with sort of value added, branded products, which seems to be you know despite what everyone says or no one wants to eat seafood, blah blah blah, actually those products have done have done really well. So I think, I think there's too many excuses. I think if there was more creativity, and as you say, more branding, um, then the industry could make a difference. And maybe, yes, of course, that involves money, um, which people, yes or no, are willing to spend. I don't know, but it, to me, that, that, those are the products that are making the difference in the market. And those are the ones that are doing well. And there's something to be learned there. I mean, and then Lent, because I have to mention Lent, because <laughs> to me it's just a bizarre concept that an industry would rely so heavily on something like Lent, which, one, is about is about depriving yourself, right? So you're, you market your product um, as something you should eat at a time when you shouldn't be enjoying yourself or eating nice things, which is bizarre. And, two, you know as I said in my column with some stats, actually, that Drew, you pulled out. It's a concept that amongst young people is is really sort of reducing in importance. Um, it's people are going to become less and less aware of lent. Seafood will no longer be an association in that respect. So to sort of keep harping on about it, I just, I find it, yeah, I find it odd. I find it odd. It should be a string to the bow, I guess, but not the whole bow i don't know i'm not well,
1: american so <laughs> well as a roman catholic i'm fully offended oh. now <laughs> <laughs> i apologize
2: obviously i Just have deep kidding. respect for but, people's religious beliefs
1: <laughs> no i totally understand what you're saying uh unfortunately if you remove l- limp from the equation right now you know consumption will probably drop even more than or you know not not go up yeah, i'll say that so yeah but i i agree with you as well it's um it's kind of uh, old-fashioned in a sense, but you know, on the other side of that, uh, most of the major, and they're fast food for the most port for the most point, but most of them do um, you know pretty significant uh, limited time offers at length. so they must be extracting you know some value from it, I guess. but yeah, how how much longer it can go on? that's a, that's a good question.
0: John, to what extent do you think Lent, though, you know, to Rachel's point, to what extent do you think it's just habit uh, sort of become this seasonal thing? And to what extent could seafood sort of break out of that a bit? You know, is, is it I mean, I just wonder if it's something that everyone kind of goes along with and like, OK, here comes Lent. We have to place our orders now because Lent's coming up. We have to make sure that our shrimp is on the water and gets here in time. Uh, we got to make sure that we have our uh, limited time offer, fish sandwiches and things ready in time. I mean, to what extent is that just become sort of cyclical? And what do you think the industry could do or can the U.S. industry do anything to break out of it?
1: Well, I mean, I don't think people would be, you know, I don't think the um, big chains would be putting on these promotions this time of year if it wasn't working to some degree that they find satisfactory. So um, until that happens, I think they will continue to, to, you know, uh, exploit Lent, so to speak for, for sales purposes. So, um, yeah, I I don't, I mean, it's kind of like Chinese new year, right? I mean, yes, it's cyclical. It comes around and it's cultural, but, they sell a lot of seafood at that point. And we probably do too. Maybe the, maybe there's a way to twist Lent into more like a spring seafood um, event or something, you know, I don't know, but I, I just, I, if if I see these companies continue to do this year after year after year, I'm going to suppose that they, they get good sales out of it. So you know that's probably the reason it's being done and will continue to be done until that changes. Hmm. Well, it's going to be interesting. It would be interesting to see some of
0: these promotions, you know, get get extended, wouldn't it? To see if there would be a chance of success if they added some of these things on the menu. But it's relatively cutthroat and I don't pretend to know how things work at say a fast food operator
1: um, it's pretty, pretty complex. Yeah, it is complex. And you see that, that, you know, some of these things early on, uh, if, especially if they're new, like when they brought lobster rolls in years ago, cause lobster was so cheap. They, they do kind of use this period to test and see if it would be strong enough to carry over to the main menu. And some have, but you're right. Most of the time, it's just what it says, a limited time offer. And it, You know, it cycles out, and then um, whatever, chicken fingers come back or whatever it is. Or plant-based fingers, right? Oh, God. (laughs)
0: That's been the interesting thing to see. It's popping up on all kinds of menus. So Yeah, and see, um, that solves
1: the Lent problem. With heavy promotion. Yeah. Heavy promotion. And that solves the Lent problem for people who want to observe Lent and the rule of not eating meat on Friday because plants aren't meat. So they can go get a burger that gives them the meat feel of course but um you know it's acorn nuts or whatever they put in it
2: acorn nuts <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah i'm sure that's what it is
1: that <laughs> but good. that's a,
2: but that to me that to me is sort of an incredible thing the plant-based and it's still very small volumes plant-based consumption um but the marketing of it has just been incredible just incredible it's an industry that's grown from nothing um, to. To an industry that's that's completely on everybody's radar suddenly, within uh, and wh- and a why year, is, two years. Why
1: is that? What did you just say? The marketing. Of-
2: it's it's the M word. Yes, marketing. Wait, what is case that? Closed. <laughs> I risk
1: my case. I'm going home. Bye. You know what?
0: I had no intention coming into this podcast that we would talk about plant based seafood, but it has been raised and it was discussed. So let's plow through it a bit. We've talked to it talked uh, about it on another podcast but that was another hot button issue um in Orlando uh last month uh and uh, we we've had very extensive coverage on it actually because it's it has been fascinating and it's been it's been fascinating to see how the industry has reacted to it um it's been fascinating to see in the past 6 months um peripherally because you know we obviously we follow the, the general food trends, uh, along with seafood, but it's been really interesting to watch the rise in plant-based, uh, products and, um, a German, um, seafood producer, Frosta, who's one of the market leaders there, they just launched a plant-based product. Um, you know, you've got all these investments being made in cellular seafood, alternative proteins by major companies. Um, it's for real, it's really happening, but I took an angle on it that's a bit different from uh from you, John, uh, and a and a bit different from what the sentiment was in uh in Florida last last month. And that's that I think it makes a convenient punching bag. Um and I think that um it's just kind of what we're talking about. Ultimately there's lessons to be learned. I don't think that putting attention on uh, how to, to quash, um, you know, a new product in the market, uh, is, is worth people's time and and money. But, um, but yeah, it it was a very interesting discussion that, uh, Roger O'Brien from, uh, Santa Monica
1: Seafoods, um, led there. Yeah. I mean, I guess my, I, and I have no problem with the development of plant-based foods. You know, my son, Jack's a, a vegan, so I'm very familiar with you know that whole situation. But um, I, I guess early on, like in one of my columns, I was just you know I would like to see it labeled better um, because it appears to be fish, but it's not fish. But the longer I've watched these products develop, the more I'm starting to change my mind that you know people are able to recognize what they they are. They're not. Being fooled by, um, you know, oh, I thought I was buying fish, <laughs> but so I I don't know. But you know, it's just another competitor in the market. It's another competitor out there, like chicken, like beef, like pork, that is just going to take a little more market share away from seafood, perhaps. And you know, at a at a time when we're not growing very much, I hate to see that, but that's the way things are. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's
0: definitely interesting to see the amount of shelf space given to plant based uh, foods nowadays, um across all uh, at least the the Western countries that uh, I've been in recently. Um, but that said, you know I think again the 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 protein shortage, the protein gap that we're going to face um, is so much more relevant. Uh, I'm talking about the global protein gap. I mean look at uh look at uh pork, look at uh poultry, I mean there is gonna be some massive, massive shortfalls uh in, in available protein around the world. And I think they're that's naturally gonna um gonna lift up the, the seafood sector. So I think on a broader scale, plant based seafood is um you know, it's kinda one of those things, isn't it, where yeah, um this product came in and is disruptive. And there's two ways to approach it. You can try to uh, attack it on its uh, on on its drawbacks, or you can learn from what uh, what has happened. And I think that what has happened is they have really captured um, a trend towards healthy eating. Um, yes, plant based eating has grown, but I think also they're capturing a trend um toward people wanting protein in a simple way. Um so I I you know I see it more as opportunity than uh than threat. Um and and boy, there's a lot of money going into the the plant based industry, so they're they're not going away. There's gonna be a lot more companies that are going to be emerging.
1: Yeah, and you know there's a lot of concern from the consumers of those products about uh, you know, the production of beef and the production of chicken and even seafood and the use of resources, land or whatever it may be to produce um, that type of protein. Um, so there, it's a very, there's, a, there are a lot of factors involved in the rise of plant based And, you know, at the end of the day, seafood, it, it's still, it's still going to chip away at some of its market share unless something changes uh, on the seafood side.
2: Yeah, but but I agree. There are less it, seafood can learn a lot of lessons from the plant based industry, and it's the plant based industry is playing on a lot of the the strengths that actually seafood also has. Yeah. Um, but people maybe don't know about. Um, you know, it is arguably more environment environmentally sustainable. Um, it's healthy protein. You know, and I think the seafood industry should be looking at plant-based proteins and be seeing what it is that they can do that's, you know, sort of ride that wave because, because they absolutely can. So I think it's a big opportunity, actually.
0: Hmm. Yeah, maybe it's more shifting the, you know, you see this more and more, but maybe it's more shifting the marketing toward uh, protein rather than uh, fish. I don't know. Seems like a backward step, but then I don't know. And that might be going as a callback to what we what we were saying about salmon. That is I think part of salmon straw is it's protein. Um it's it's easy to eat. It's convenient. It's right there on top of your sushi. It's right there grab and go from the shelves. Um so hmm. well, like I said, uh that was a diversion uh and it's fine because that is an issue that's not going away that we'll be talking about more and more. But I want to make sure that we add in before the uh before our time is up on the podcast um Ocean Beauty. Now, we've uh been on a run of uh breaking M&A news uh and well, it seems like that has not ended for about a decade, but in particular over the last um you know the last uh, month or so, there's been loads more uh, M&A. So, we're coming off a record year in 2019 for M&A and it looks like if this keeps up, we're going to have another Another record year, and I'm I'm fairly certain it's going to to keep up. Um, Ocean Beauty has been very very interesting to follow. Um, Cook and uh, Cook and and, uh, and Ocean Beauty again are, are um, in talks for some form of a partnership or deal, uh, which we discussed last week in our podcast. And we've we've had all over our pages, but John, I'm going to kick it to you. The three of us worked on this story. Um, because we found it fascinating. 50% of Ocean Beauty is owned by the Bristol Bay Economic Development Corporation. It's one of the community development quota groups in Alaska. Um, The other 50% is owned by three rather interesting characters, and they've owned it for a long, long time, and we wanted to learn more about them. John, what did we find out? Uh,
1: Well, (laughs) we found out not a lot but um you know we found out that well something we already knew um uh, howard klein who seems to be the of the three owners uh seems to be the most involved um is you know he's been said to want to get out of uh ocean beauty for some time so there's you know he's a developer down in los angeles he's built so uh, he's kind of done some renovation to a uh, certain part of the city that is now kind of a thriving um artsy community so he you know that's his um his ball of wax more or less these days and you know honestly we've been calling howard klein for years literally years and um and no, no response and and that's fine. Nobody's obligated to call us back so um but then you you dug a little deeper on um Mr. Selby, and I'm going to pass that to you because that wasn't my part of the story as much. well, yeah, I mean, I think like you said,
0: Klein is a little bit more visible um I've actually met him at an ASME party years and years and years ago, so he does exist. Uh, the other two, it's a little bit harder to find out if they exist. Um, no, they do. Um, but Ronald Shaw uh, is one of the partners, and you know, again, these, like you said, John, nobody is obligated to call a reporter back or talk to a reporter. That that's. Uh, That's their prerogative. Right. Um, But there's really not a lot of information uh, around there about Ronald Shaw and how he and Selby and uh, and Klein all got together. But they've been doing it and been in partnership here for a long, long time. And it was it was odd. It was odd in a couple ways when uh, when BBDC bought its share um, that those three would hang on to theirs. Um, especially when they're so hands off. You know, I believe Klein came to the sector from Three Star Smoke Fish years ago. Uh, and I th- and Selby was at one point um at one point the uh the CEO, I believe, and chairman of um of Ocean Beauty. Um, so it was, it was interesting to kind of dig through, uh, how the, the how these guys came together. Um, Selby is very, very interesting and I, I'll bring in Rachel in a second too, cause she actually did uh, research on, on, uh, Selby as well. He is, uh, according to all reports that we can see, uh, out there and all documents that we dug up, he is based in Thailand, um, and he has had a colorful Colorful career, uh, ocean beauty is just a a blip on this guy 's life. Um, he apparently lives in a luxurious estate i 'm going to let Rachel talk about that a bit um, he 's been uh, he 's been a um, a film producer. Uh, you may have caught the film 's Kate Skin trade or Triple Threat. Um, or you may not have. Some of those may have been direct to D V D or direct to video. Some of those may uh may not be suitable for work or for children. Um, but that's that's on my that's on my viewing on my viewing list one of these weekends as I'll I'll check out one of uh one of Selby's films here. Um but he's also been an advisor to uh the Brunei's Prince Jeffrey. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that uh correctly. Um, and he's been on multiple boards. I mean, this guy is, is really fascinating. Um, Rachel, what else do we know about him? He, (laughs) he, he likes working with dogs and he has, um,
2: he owns a, he owns a dog kennel, a highly acclaimed dog kennel in, in Thailand. Um, yeah, it's not often, it's not often I phone dog kennels in my day-to-day career as a seafood journalist, but I've now done it, uh, several times, um, (laughs) with no, with no response, obviously. But um, but yeah yeah he owns a dog kennel which seems to be his sort of main interest and main investment um, and yes and on this dog kennel site you can find photos of him with uh, Jean Claude Van Dam which is <laughs> which is intriguing I guess that plays <laughs> into his plays into his film film producer role um, yeah interesting guy his his house has its own observatory apparently uh, according to Tatler magazine and. Um, yeah, and he's a collector of Oriental carpets. So there we go. No mention of seafood in any of these any of these uh, articles or documents that we found online. So clearly, this is a ocean beauty is very much a side side interest for him. But yeah, intriguing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't really imagine that uh, he, you know that he or Klein um, have. Too much of a... Well, it was a bad pun, but it just popped my head. Too much of a dog in the fight um, <laughs> for for Ocean Beauty. Um, it doesn't seem like they would need whatever returns they may be getting from the company, or lack of returns, maybe is more um, is more of an accurate way to to say it. Um, but it was fascinating to look into uh, look into these guys, and it's. Um, is very interesting to to see um you know that they remain in it and uh and to see that they're beginning to take steps to get out, but um you know for most of these years they just either haven 't cared to or they haven 't been able to um so we'll be watching that um, watching that pretty closely but um yeah some interesting interesting reporting on that and uh I guess john the the uh, the news on Cook and Ocean Beauty and whether or not they uh, strike some kind of deal that that's just something we're still working on. There's no real um,
1: updates on the timeline on that. No, not at this point. You know, we're just we're trying to to get the next step on it, but um, nothing new.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, why don't we see what happens between now and next week's podcast, and we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Just a reminder, you can find us on IntraFish.com around the clock with our news. You can sign up for our newsletter there. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find us on LinkedIn. Feel free to link in to us personally. Um, and to follow our Interfish page and uh, and, and, uh, all the other groups that we're active in. Um, And a reminder, too, uh, we will be at the North Atlantic Seafood Forum in Bergen later this, actually early, early next month. Um, So we'll be reporting live from there and doing some uh, some moderating as well. We're the uh, official media partner there. Um, so looking forward to being back into our uh, our HQ city of Bergen. Uh, and then not too long after that, we turn around and we go to Boston. So uh, we're prepping for that, and uh, there's going to be loads of news that will come out of there as always. We've got some great interviews lined up that we're going to be uh, really excited to report to you guys. And then on uh, on March 16th, we have a seafood leadership uh, event, you really should attend that one. Uh, we are going to have uh, Ian Smith, the CEO of Clearwater will be there Michael Durham, CEO of American seafoods uh, and we'll also have uh, DnB there Antarctica advisors it 's going to be a, a, a great event we 'll be discussing the uh, seafood executive outlook as well that we just uh, sent out that survey and already have a massive response so we 've got a lot of data collected to um, tell you about what the industry thinks about the coming year ahead. So really excited about that. Uh, As always, lots going on. So uh, we will talk to everybody next week. Thanks for joining us.